Good morning, Bethany. My name is Scott. I'm the senior pastor of Bethany Community Church. And by nature of that role, I get the opportunity to be here with you all, Bethany Greenlake, about once a month. And I get the joy this Sunday to kick off a sermon series called Restoration, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. And it is a great joy to bring in a message today I've titled The Vision to Change Together. The Vision, God's Vision to Change Together. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for the chance to gather as your people in this time, in this place, in this particular context. And God, we want to be hearing from you this morning through our ears, God, through our heads, into our hearts. God, open us up that we would receive new revelation about what you're calling us to as your people together. God, draw us forward for a vision of change together for your glory. You are still on the throne, God. And we know that's both a picture of eternity and an encouragement for the present moment. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. The vision to change together. Without a vision to change together, we can move with our best efforts, but we likely won't experience real change, real transformation. I'll tell you a story as we get started towards that end. A town, a real town called Kamikatsu in Japan. Kamikatsu, Japan, sought to be in the late 90s a zero-waste community because they were dying in trash. Kamikatsu is a small town in the hills of Japan, about 1,500 people. Um, But because they didn't have any kind of recycling program or garbage program in place, there was garbage strewn around the city in the hillside, and what wasn't strewn was burned. And so they would burn their trash, they burn their recyclables, burn their plastic, and then what happened as the fumes went up in the hills of Japan where they were located, because of the inversion experience, they were literally inhaling toxic chemicals. They were dying because of the trash. They had a vision to change, and not just a, a reasonable expectation, they saw it to be a zero-waste community. And, and some of the leaders realized, like any social movement, it's impossible to start only from a place of the problem or from the, the uh, almost impossibility of the task, but instead, from a place of vision and a place of community, set a target for what they were aiming at. And slowly, by involving every single person in the community and employing a somewhat radical means of uh, recycling, where over 45 different recyclables uh, with their trash, they set uh, and accomplished their vision. They became, in 2020, a literal zero-waste community. And they did it together. Now, That might seem like a better illustration this spring when we have our environment and faith sermon series, but the reason I tell you that story now, it was shared with me by a senior associate pastor at Bethany North, Raul Perez, because it's a powerful illustration that without a vision and without our involvement, things don't change. If we only start from a place of brokenness and hope from the lament and the pain that we'll somehow achieve some great goal, we'll often fall flat on our face. But change happens with a clear vision and clear participation. Now, as we get into this restoration sermon series, 
There's a clear segue to today's text. We have a vision for where the scriptures are calling us together. This is a, 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 the eschatology, the end of all things, where Christ is on the throne. We're going to get into there. And it's clearly inclusive of all people. And our work of people of faith is to regain that vision, empowered by the spirit of God, not just our effort, we would be participating with a clear vision and clear involvement in what God is calling us together towards restoration, life in the spirit amidst racism. And so today my hope is just to get us started on this five-week series. And so in three parts, we're going to look at the vision and kind of the mission and then the place to begin again as God's people as we discover, rediscover, and recommit and recovenant together God's heart for restoration for all people. We're going to survey the scriptures, beginning, middle, and end, to regain what Christ is calling us, his vision, as his church. God's hope for us, restoration, with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, on the throne. And that place of reconciliation where we as all God's people will find relationship and our place of belonging in proximation to the Lamb on the throne is where we start today. So let's dive in together to a a vision of restoration. In other words, why this series? What's the why of this series? Look at Ephesians 2, what Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's us, uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands. Remember, at that time, you were separate. You were outsiders from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promises. You were without hope and without God in the world. Full stop. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, this is a hard series. And last night, as I was preparing for this very moment, I was anguished in spirit. Because what I hear all the time when I meet with people is like, you know what the church should be talking about? We should be talking about racial reconciliation. But often I hear different perspectives. Uh, We should be talking about racial reconciliation because there's so many people here that just don't get it yet. The series is for you, friends, and not just the person on your left or right. It's for me. What is scripture calling us to as we move into God's reconciliation work in our community beyond colorblindness, beyond just, hey, everyone can get along. Like, what is Christ calling us from the scriptures? What is the foundation for our reconciliation work? Others, you know what the church should be talking about? Can we just talk about discipleship? We just like get back to the basics of Bible reading and prayer. And, you know, I'm worried about the agendas of the church looking too similar to the school district or to Starbucks. Like, can we just get back to the basics? Friends, this is the basics. What we're going to look at today, beginning, middle, end of the scriptures, we're called to participate in the reconciliation, which is always personal between us and Christ, but never leaves us just there. We are people of a great community being called forward both to a future tense and a present reality. Not just that, oh yeah, the people across the country, but right here at Bethany Green Lake. This is God's word for us in this particular time. This is the why. We're not 
moving to self-righteous liberalism or uh, doubling down on our conservative values. We are moving together as God's people. The beauty that is Bethany Community Church for a hundred plus years. There are people on your left, on your right that probably voted different, that felt different about mass and, and maybe marched in, in July 2020 on Capitol Hill and sat at home and thought that's the worst thing. Like this is our church what is the scripture calling us to in our church? What is the spirit saying about racism? Not just because we, we hear it outside these walls. What is God asking us to, to respond to in this present tense reality? And so it is both a honor and a privilege and a fear to speak to you today. I was thinking even, even in that last worship set, I was thinking just the great privilege to be involved in Bethany. Our family came from Los Angeles and we got involved when Bethany was a little brick church across the street. And they, you know, it's like we knew some people that grew up here. And it's like, hey, it's a little church of two, three hundred great people. You know, the, the senior pastor at the time, great guy. And, and all those things were true. And as we got involved in the church, it was the community living out the scriptures that really felt like we could raise our family here. And then over the last couple of years, I've had the incredible opportunity with the leadership of Bethany, like we've done some neat things. I was just thinking about like this spring, many of you were there, we, you know, 2,500 of us gathered at Woodland Park Zoo, worshiping God, all, you know, and that was a great joy for me. I wasn't that nervous that morning. Or I was uh, just at UW's convocation, welcome dogs in the room, we're so excited, you guys are back in school. We were at convocation as a family, I've got a freshman at UW, and I was thinking when Bethany was there, we rented Alaska Airlines, put a stage in the middle, worship God, 3,500 people, I gotta, I gotta be part of that, I wasn't that nervous that morning. Uh, the first Sunday um, of the pandemic, it was February, we were shutting down for a couple weeks, and we gathered with just a live stream that morning. This is going out to thousands of people. I got to be part of that this morning. Wasn't that, uh, I'm more nervous this morning, because I don't want to add anything that would be divisive to us as God's people. So I need to say, as your shepherd, with your shepherds, we're here for the good news of Christ to be lived in, in us as a community. And the great news for us is like we're not building the YMCA. We are rebuilding the church. And Christ has a message for us through his scriptures. We've got something to say about racism in America. Not in response to culture, but in response to God's spirit. This is what the church has been called to from the beginning. And we get to double down into the why for this time and place. We are people responding to the needs of our community and saying, hey, God has good news for you. And for the people of color, for our BIPOC friends and sisters, I just wanna say thank you for your continued participation in our community. We as a church since 2016 have been saying like, hey, we've got, you know, let's continue to teach these values, but there's been starts and stops and I take responsibility for things that I had, could have done better. I'm just grateful for those of you um, in that BIPOC community for your continued involvement in church. I want to say for a lot of my white brothers and sisters today, there's, there's work for us to do. But remember what Nathan just read to us. The lamb at the center of the throne will be the shepherd. He will guide us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Friends, this is 
This is God's good news for us as a church into the season ahead. And the scriptures, the, the, the very scriptures that we respond to through the life of the Spirit start on you know, chapter one, page one, that God is in the work of, of beauty and diversity and complexity. And it was never gonna be sim- uh, simple. I mean, from page one, the human race, in the beginning God created, you know, the, the spirit of God, the ruah, the very, the, the very breath of God over the, over the waters. And from, from that place of God's just covering over creation, you know, God's culminating act of creation, the diversity of the human race, singular. We were given God's breath and created in God's image by design, that we would be this incredible, complex human race of different ethnicities bearing witness to God's good news. We were never meant to be a monoculture, but a beautiful community. And depending on your faith tradition and your personal story and your upbringing, you grew up seeing the church either really leading out on God's beautiful diversity and being a place of justice or maybe not so much. I grew up in West Olympia. Uh, in South Puget Sound was a place of great diversity, but only a few cultures really represented. In South Puget Sound, in West Olympia, we had a lot of Caucasian folk and then a lot of Asians. In uh, the 70s and 80s, a lot of people from Vietnam and Laos and other Southeast countries after the Vietnam conflict relocated in South Puget Sound. So maybe 30, 40% of my school was of, of Asian, but very few Latinx people and even fewer black people. But we were told that racism was kind of a thing in the past. We didn't hear a lot of racial slurs. We, you know, my lived experience, particularly as a white male, I was unfamiliar with racism as a social construct, as a, as a systemic failure. Hey, God created us all equal. We live in America, the, the home of the free, the land of the brave. Does racism still exist? And then just in in recent years, of course, on both the micro and the macro level, we've learned, oh my word, there's still so much work for us to do to be a place, not just speaking of God's mercy, but living into God's justice. In the particular of Seattle, if you dig into the racialized history of our community in Seattle, do some digging into racial redlining here in the 40s, 50s, 60s where people of color were prohibited from getting bank loans but in all but just a few neighborhoods in the central district. Or, or go even wider on the macro level and consider the power structures in our country when we, when we have to deal with the systemic failures and systemic racism. As of the 2020 census, 60% of America identifies as white, 40% uh, BIPOC, you know, people black, indigenous, people of color. And then consider the power structures over U.S. History. There have been 1,314, 1,314 senators in our U.S. history, but only 11 black senators in our nation's history. There have been 116 Supreme Court justices. Only two of them have been black. There have been 46 presidents, but just one who's a person of color and no females. Like, why is that? We have a structural brokenness around race that's never been addressed. We've, sure, you know, come through the civil war, come through the civil rights movement, but for us to be a just society, practicing an equality for people, an ability to thrive, we've got work to do. Yes, God loves everybody. Yes, this is America. 
But what about race and ethnicity, particular to today, has limited people's ability to thrive, especially people in black and brown bodies? Brian Stevenson, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative and the author of Just Mercy, uh, teaches American history has thrived on this narrative of racial difference. That the narrative of racial difference existed, that different ethnicity, there was a sliding scale of who was most valuable in our nation. And as Christians, we say, has God something to say about his mercy and his justice for all people? The church has been, in some eras, largely silent about the justice of God. And for that, I lament. Daniel Hill, who Bethany brought to Seattle in 2018, the author of Wide Awake, a pastor and theologian from Chicago, he says this, he says, American Christianity, particularly evangelicalism, has often lost sight of a holistic understanding of the gospel. There's an emphasis of proclamation of the good news, but it tends to be theologically disconnected from demonstration of that good news. There's an emphasis on loving God as expressed in the great commandment, but it's theologically disconnected from loving neighbor. There's an emphasis on being reconciled to God through Christ, but it's theologically disconnected from being sent into the world by Christ as ambassadors of reconciliation. And so we as a church embark in a series called Restoration, life not of our labor, but life in the spirit amidst racism. We just name it. It's just the air we breathe in America, the systems and structures which have unfairly made it difficult to thrive in black and brown bodies. In 2016, Bethany sought to to address this. And 2016 was one of the upticks in racial violence that we experienced as a country. It was Michael Brown and Ferguson uprising in Minneapolis, shootings in Dallas, and some of the lead pastors were away. And we were, we were writing our curriculum for the sermon series for the year ahead. And we turned on the TV, racial violence again in Dallas. We said, we've got to do something. And we as a staff kind of covenanted in the year ahead, like we would, we would set this as a priority. And it has been one of our strategic priorities for the last six years. When I and a few others went to meet with other churches to say, what can we do to, to be more involved? We had churches that wouldn't even take our meeting. Where has Bethany been, they asked. Too late. Meet with somebody else. You've got work to do. We've got to move into the work as God's people. And I recognize that maybe this feels uncomfortable or difficult or for you, you're like, oh, I've been waiting, but I wish Scott would say it like this. I get it. We're in this together. We've got to do more than just look. We've got to get involved with our bodies. We're embodied people. In the, in the 90s, my wife... Um, went on a a study tour at Whitworth University where she was studying both faith and psychology. And there was this incredible opportunity to study prejudice across America. They set off on a month-long train trip around the United States, multiple stops. It was a psychology trip, but just as much or more a faith trip. 
And they got to Chicago to understand systemic racism in the south side of Chicago, specifically the Cabrini Green neighborhood. And so they went into the health and welfare office of the Cabrini Green neighborhood. Uh, not, let's not all go in at once, largely white students from this you know, liberal arts school in Spokane. Now they're in Chicago in January. Let's go in two by twos. Unfortunately for my wife, she was like later in the pack, like number five or six. So they would go in and just bear witness to what you see as maybe systemic oppression and two we go in and then come out and two and then so it was my wife's turn she walks into the housing authority again just paying attention to systemic racism and a woman is finally you know behind the desk and she'd seen enough and she said hey you you're not allowed to just watch here you can't just come in and look and leave see that was never their intention was to be tourists of racism but the impact of just watching and leaving for for that woman in that room felt like spectacle it's God's church in this time and place in Seattle not Cabrini Green I'm talking Central District I'm talking Green Lake and Shoreline and Mount Lake Terrace and Magnolia we're not allowed to just watch and that may never be our intended you know impact to be on the sidelines of, uh, of people being discriminated against. But we're called to move. We're called to step. We're, we're called to participate with our bodies. We can't just watch anymore. We know too much. And that's the second thing I want to say. It's there in your outline. The mission in very much the middle, in, in the eschaton, the mission in the middle is Jesus' recentering work. I'm, I'm talking to you today about Jesus' recentering work, Jesus' reconciling work. Jesus' recentering work. In other words, why are things so difficult? Why are things so difficult? If we know this is a, a state of value, we see it in the scriptures. Hey, Bethany itself has said, we're going to be a church of racial justice. Like, why are things so difficult? As I've already spoken about, I think in some regards, it's because the church has lost some of its primary calling to be people of justice and mercy, acting on behalf of the most marginalized in our communities. And we in the church have conflated the status quo with Christ at the center. But listen with the mission that Christ sent us out with. These were the final words. These were the, these were the thesis statements before he was, you know, to, to go to, to God the Father and, and spend eternity there. Jesus gathered around him his best friends. It's very emotional for me, actually. And they had questions. Lord, is it this time that you're going to restore the kingdom? Like, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. I'll just pause there because I find that really hopeful that even in the presence of Jesus, they didn't get the roadmap and they still had questions because I very much wish I had a roadmap and I wish all my questions were answered. But the mission in the middle comes here in verse eight. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you'll see there as you kind of unpack Acts 1-8 that they received each other despite their cultural and ethnic barriers. And, and Jesus says really to me what's a very surprising thing. They're like, hey, give us the map. Jesus is like, it's not what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you more than a map. I'm going to give you myself called the Holy Spirit. And the work of racial justice on your own flesh, by your own effort, by your own Instagram feed, by your own participation, like without the spirit, we're sunk, friends. 
The, the work of reconciliation has to come empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to give you my spirit, my, my dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to send you as barrier breakers from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. These folks gathered around likely hadn't traveled more than 30 miles in their entire lives. And he's saying, I'm sending you. We are a sent people into the Judeas and the Samarias, the places that feel uncomfortable. And with Jesus on the center, we should be asking, who are marginalized people that I have, you know, unintentionally perhaps, you know, decentered? Who are people that I need to be a person of, uh, of mercy and justice for in order with Christ on the throne that the reconciliation of Christ would be centered in my life? And I love that Christ here sends them on this mission. Rome is still in power. Religious oppression still going around, ethnic tension very much around, and still Jesus said, go. We are empowered by the cross of Christ. And some questions that I want to ask you is this, this has to be a personal series for you. Questions. Jesus breaks barriers. Questions that I have for you. How do we, individually as a church, how do we put up barriers around race, ethnicity, and culture? We need to be asking ourselves that question. What do we center regarding race, ethnicity, and culture in our life together as a church? What's on the margin? What needs realigning in light of Christ's reconciling, uh, reconciling and recentering work? How can we live transformed lives through the Spirit rather than culture's perspective of center margin? We've got questions that we've got to dive into together. And the hope over the next five weeks is that we'd have safe spaces for us to be asking these questions together. We need to be just, you know, understanding how we can participate in this work together. Helpful concept towards this end is by my friend, Dr. Brenda. Uh, she didn't, you know, she didn't come up with this idea of first order and second order thinking, but as we went through a year-long training on racial justice for the church, uh, she's a professor at Seattle Pacific, you know, she taught us about the concept of first order and second order thinking. First order thinking is the stuff we want to rush into and do quite immediate. Bam. Simple changes, instant impact. Let's go and hire these certain people. Let's give a sermon series. Let's do quick, fast. Let's go and do the things. But real transformation happens in the second order thinking that's deeper, that's more complex, that's understanding systems and structures. When we, as a people, start to wrestle with why are things so difficult for people of color in certain contexts? What is our mission in the middle? Acknowledging the prejudice exists, how are we invited to participate in tearing down the barriers? G.K. Chesterton once said this, do not remove offense until you know why it was put up in the first place. Why are there fences to people in our community keeping them out? Who has been decentered? Why did those fences get erected? And how do we do the long, slow, deeper, transformative work to being people of justice? And I want to invite you as, as one of your leaders here into the work. I want to invite you. There are next steps over the next five weeks for us to take together. This booklet that you got on the way in has, you know, it's a great first step. These are stories from people around Bethany's six locations. There's Bible studies you can do with your housemates, your suite mates, your family. This is a great resource for the next five weeks. There's also places here at Bethany Green Lake where you can, you can get involved. Discussion groups, small groups are launching. As you just heard, there's a vibrant, uh, you know, resettling refugees and immigrants ministry. You could talk to Pastor Nathan 
often about. Bethany has a growing ministry with the Duwamish tribe of relationship. You talk to Pastor Phil in the lobby about that. We want you to be involved. We also have author and speaker Dominique uh, Dubois Gilliard, Director of Racial Righteousness and Reconciliation for the Evangelical Covenant Church. He'll be here on uh, this stage on November 14th to come and speak more about what it means for us as a church to recenter Christ at, at the throne and to be involved in the reconciliation for all things. We've got to get involved. The last thing I want to say is, is this, the third point of your outline is that, um, that our work right now is, you know, we've responded to the clear vision for restoration. We've received the mission in the middle, why things are so difficult. But the end is really the beginning of Jesus' reconciliation work is meant to be action steps for us. And that, that's the question. In other words, on your outline, how will restoration happen? I like the title. I like your booklet, Scott. How will restoration happen? What does restoration even mean? Restoration for us as sermon writers means restoring God's original tent for humanity. Like a, like a you know, piece of original computer equipment or your iPhone that comes preloaded with maps and weather and notes. Like I don't know if you've ever tried to take you know, some of Apple's original programs off an iPhone. It's incredibly complex. There's software preloaded. So if we were going to say as God's church, there's software in our DNA, in the structures and systems and power structures. How do we remove some of those barriers? How do we reconcile with Christ and with others? How do we get more involved in this good work? Keep coming over the next four weeks because we've got steps and we're going to be teaching through what the Bible has for you. But I believe Revelation 7 shows where we're being drawn by Christ. It gives both a future hope and a present tense action. Look at Revelation 7. After this, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb robed in white with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And to me, if you were asking me, like, what's the scripture that I most go to when I'm meeting with people? Like, help me understand again why racial reconciliation is, is integral to our work as Christians. I go to Revelation 7. This is the work. Every tribe, nation, tongue, they're there. But what are they there for? They're gathered around the throne they're gathered around Christ. Our, our fellowship is, is built by proximation of Christ on the throne of our lives. The hope to which we're called matters because Jesus is on the throne. That's both a future tense and revelation of what, what eternity will look like. But if that's the case, and we believe it is, it changes our trajectory in our everyday if we honestly believe that every nation, tribe, tongue is part of God's eternal plans, then we become people, not of just God's great mercy, but also God's great justice, helping tear down the systems and structures that are wiping out the image of God and people, being people of hope, saying God loves our world too much to see people enslaved in systemic racism. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, in the end, drawing all people to himself. 
It's such a beautiful picture. If you continue on in Revelation 7, in verse 13, it says the elder asked, you know, who are these people that are streaming forward? Where did they come from? And then the elder in verse 14 answers his own question. These are they that have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. They've washed themselves by the blood of Jesus. And friends, This is where I get to just focus again on on Jesus who gave his life for us to reconcile us to him and to reconcile us to each other. That our faith is never just a vertical one. We are people of the horizontal axis, people of justice in our city. Willie James Jennings says this, we who follow Jesus, we are working in wounds. We are working with wounds. We are working through wounds. The wounds of Christ. There's not many of you in here who don't feel just a little bit wounded from all that you've experienced around race and justice over the last couple of years. I want to pray a word of hope over you. May you have your faith restored. May this be a season where you believe again of the endless mercy and the bottomless justice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has redeemed us through his blood. Again, not for the sake of the YMCA or the school board, but because of the church. This is who we're called to be, people of great hope. And Jesus, the great shepherd, will wipe every tear from our eye. He will shepherd us. He will bring us to streams of living water. This is the vision that we have to start from, a vision of restoration of God's church. We've got something to say because God already said it. Endless mercy, bottomless justice for God's people. This week, we got to take away the staff of Bethany Community Church for a spiritual retreat for a couple days and just pour into those that are pouring into others. There was no work. It was just refueling on, on Christ and reconnecting with one another. It was a really good time. And as we went away from that place, the next morning I woke up and I was putting words together for this sermon. And there, as I looked over Puget Sound from the place I was staying outside Anacornis, there was just this deep fog. And I'd entered into this prayer time with the Lord and I was expressing my fear to Jesus. Jesus, I, I, I feel like I don't know all the answers. How are you gonna restore us, Lord? And it just felt like a fog and I went into this imagination prayer where I imagined myself in a boat with Jesus and the fog was all around us. I'm like, where are we going? And he's like, come on, I'll show you in my, in my prayer, in this kind of imagination prayer. And we started out in this boat kind of motoring through the fog and then the, the fog kind of broke and we landed on a far and distant shore. Where are we going, Jesus? I asked again. He said, come on, I'll show you. And, and we hopped out of the boat and I'm following Jesus now and we're going to the center point of this land that's just beautiful and the clear blue sky and the people are just streaming to the middle of the island. Every tribe, they're there on the island. Every nation, they're there. There's my son who passed away 13 years ago. There's, there's people that have been wounded, the, the, like the, the walking wounded to the middle of the island. And in the middle, there's a throne. And I see Jesus climb up there and there's this, this worship. And you were there too. Every one of you seeking Jesus is your center point. 
It was so encouraging. It was a gift. Friends, you're invited. You are invited to the work of restoration, helping us recapture what God has to say as people of justice and people of mercy for this time and place for the healing of all things. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this church, this time, this space. Thank you that you are the healer, that you healed us through your wounds. Thank you that you're the reconciler, God, that gives good news for all people. And God, we confess and lament places of silence and complicity with supremacy and the status quo. We ask God that you would wake us up to places where we get to be vocal about your mercy as well as your justice, that you have something to say through your spirit for the healing of our nation and our people. God, we, we pray extra blessing onto the black and brown among us who have just been through so much in our community. We ask God that this would be a season of restoring their faith in the gathered community. And for those of us like myself, Jesus, in white bodies, we just pray you'd help us see privilege. You'd help us be you know, moved to next steps, that we'd be moved to participation. And God, that this would not add divisiveness to the conversation, but this would enable deeper connection to your spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for the reminder that you are on the throne of our lives and of our cities and our communities and our future. We love you. And all God's people said, amen.